this time I'd ask that you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2, where I'll, we'll take for our text this morning, verses 1 through 15. So if you're visiting with us, we are now, this is the last sermon in a 14-part series on the life and ministry of Elijah, and so we come to the end in that transition that takes place now to another prophet. And so the journey that that takes, the uncertainty that that can have, but yet the understanding that the Lord will continue to be faithful to his word. And so let's hear these words, familiar words together. 2 Kings 2, verses 1 through 15, we pay special attention to the reading of God's word because it is that, the very holy and inspired and errant word of Almighty God. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what shall I do for you before I am taken from you? And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. And he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. The grass withers, a flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word, for your faithfulness to it throughout these weeks of studying more than just a prophet, more than just Elijah, but learning more of you, of your work among a people, of calling them back, of stamping out idolatry, of giving them hope for the future. And so we pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our spirit would be pleasing to you. And Father, you would receive all the glory for it, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we generally have a hard time letting things go. 
I find that a little bit more now that it's hard to, to have our children grow up and leave home. It's hard to have held a, a job for a very, very long time and now to entrust it into the hands of, of those less experienced. There's uncertainty. And we don't like that feeling pretty much ever. What's going to happen? Are they going to be okay without us? Will they continue in the right way? And so as the time for those transitions draws near, we find ourselves, be that at home or in the workplace, we start showing up more often or we're more intentional in those relationships. We want to be sure in our teaching to be as sure as far as depends on us that we've passed on our knowledge, that we've granted them our experience. We desire because it's necessary that they continue to serve well. And in the best of those relationships, or at least in the best of those transitions, they don't want you to leave. In some ways, they don't want things to change, but rather to continue to be a part of their experience in whatever way we can or are willing to be. And so here we see Elijah, who serves over the course of his ministry through many ups and downs, now coming to the end. I've fulfilled my ministry. He's run that race. He's kept the faith. He's been preserved. But now there is that uncertainty. Yes, he's set apart a successor, called by God to cast his cloak, the symbol of authority and ordination on Elisha, who would now serve in that role as God's prophet. The Lord would be faithful to use Elisha even as he had used Elijah. But in these last moments then, God uses Elijah to test Elisha's resolve to bring about or bring out the uncertainty in the hearts of the sons of the prophets. Do you trust me? Do you realize that I will continue to be with you? Does Elisha know the power in which he will go out that God's glory would be accomplished? And so Elijah is about to go, and nobody wants him to go. But his exit serves for the entrance again, not only of Elisha to go forth in the same power, but for the word to re-enter into the heart, we pray, of Israel moving forward for that same purpose, for God's glory. And so as we conclude our study in God's work in Elijah, we see that the Lord prepares a loyal chosen servant for his ongoing work as he takes another empowered servant to himself in glory. The Lord prepares a loyal chosen servant for his ongoing work. That's Elisha's place in this narrative. As he takes another Elijah, an empowered servant, to himself in glory. And so he does that in two things in our text. In verses 1 through 8, we see it in a teachable movement. Again, verses 1 through 8. And then in that transitional moment in verses 9 through 15. And so it is a teachable movement, a preparation seeing Elijah and Elisha take a trip together. In some ways, a goodbye tour to the sons of the prophets, perhaps that way to encourage them. But it's also a time for teaching. And so when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Here is their fellowship. Here is that way we see even in the New Testament as, as Christ does his walk about through the land and his disciples follow him. Elijah leads his successor on a journey of remembrance, to be mindful of his calling, to be given that understanding in terms of what, what it will be to, to lead God's people in the word. In like manner to Moses, imparting his final wisdom and insight to Joshua. But it's also a journey of testing. 
We can start to see that throughout the narrative. For at each stop, and the way in which it doesn't just say they went to various cities, the Lord is naming those cities. As we consider each location's significance, Elijah will continue to follow the Lord in his leading. That those towns will speak of it. That his walk will speak of it. But will Elisha do the same? We know the story, but there, there is still that tension in that moment. Will he be committed to the path as a word bearer? Will he continue to follow faithfully, even though that road for him is going to be just as difficult as it was for Elijah? And so they depart from Gilgal, the first stopping place for Israel after crossing the Jordan into the Promised Land. It was a place of promise seen in Joshua 4. 19 to 20, the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. Here is a reminder of God's promise, of his power. This is what he has done, but also a reminder of the people that he was to serve. That while he was in that way and in many ways just serving Israel, there was that call then to serve Judah. To be that person who brings all of his people back by way of that word. We are to be his people and he will be our God. That's the relationship you're called to, Elisha. But in Israel, it wasn't enough to know that promise. They had the promise. They had the stack of stones that continued to talk that promise. But they were anything but faithful. It wasn't enough to know what God had done. Elisha and the people would need to follow his word and his promise. So Elijah says to Elisha, stay here. It's crazy to think about. He knows what he's been called to. He knows he needs to follow. And yet that choice is still there. Stay here. For the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. There's that shift. I'm called to this. Are you? I'm committed to this. Are you? Are you willing to walk this road to follow the Lord's leading even to places not nearly as pleasant as Gilgal? As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Not leaving Elijah was the same as not forsaking his calling. The Lord lives. It's his trust. It's his confession. He will be faithful to his promise. I will not leave you as long as you live. So they went down to Bethel. And again, in the best of times, Bethel would have been remembered as a a holy place. The place where Jacob had wrestled with God and had his hip put out. That wonder of what he was able to see in the promise of what God would do in him and his offspring. But in those days, that truth was overshadowed by the brokenness found there according to 1 Kings 12. So Jeroboam took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he sent one in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The greatest of the sins. That while we just read about Ahab, that he was the worst, Jeroboam would have been 1A. He was the worst. Here are your gods. Here is that idolatry that I've started. And so Elisha is brought before the true state of the people. Yes, you know the people you're going to go serve, but do you realize their hearts? 
Do you realize what my whole ministry has been about? Here is the abomination still in our midst, even after the slaughter of all of the prophets of Baal. And so, Elisha, will you continue to faithfully follow? Even in knowing what you know, even in what you know of my ministry, knowing the battles I fought, knowing that there is not going to be anyone with you, even as I was tempted to say, I alone have been faithful, God. Will you continue? And here Elisha has to wrestle not only with that, not only with his own heart, but also now hearing the real encouragement of the sons of the prophets. Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? Thank you. (laughs) Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. And what's striking about the text, and not something we always think about, is that everybody knew. This wasn't just something hush-hush between the two of them. Everybody knows this day and this time are coming, not just in a general way, but this is the day. They knew it would happen then. There's no secrets. And so no one wants to talk about it. It's hush-hush because of grief. This parting is going to happen. But again, the real edge in our text is the uncertainty of it all. How will we continue without Elijah? It's a struggle sometimes in churches. How are we going to deal if that pastor takes a call or we're vacant? What's going to happen to the word? What's going to happen to the people? What's going to happen to the future of the church? We say these sorts of things together. There's uncertainty. There, who will be God's word bearer? How can we go on? And it's not a new question. It would have been Israel's question as Moses' death approached. It will be the question after Jesus ascends, as the disciples gather to wait for power on high. There's a great deal of uncertainty, maybe even stretching to doubt among God's people. How will God continue to show himself faithful to his words? And even though Elisha has already been mantled, as it were, at this point, will he be set apart? Will he be empowered to do that work? And Elisha doesn't even want to talk about it. He's overwhelmed. The reality of that which is coming is hard to comprehend. But he's presented with another test. Elisha, please stay here, verse 4, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. In Jericho, again for us, and Sunday school children, we know all about Jericho, don't we? At the walls came a tumbling down. Here is the first city to fall in the conquest of the promised land, a victory not given because of the might of Israel, but at the power of God's word, of a people living that word out in obedience. And yet that joy had been overshadowed. The joy of that moment was Joshua pronouncing curse upon the city of Jericho. Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city. At the cost of its firstborn, he shall lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son, shall he set up its gates. Joshua 6.26. But that took place back in 1 Kings 16.34. In the days of Heel of Bethel, he built Jericho. At the cost of Abiram. At the cost of his youngest son, Segov. Now Jericho served as a 
a monument of rebellion. Gone is that history. We've left it. We don't care for it anymore. Elisha, will you be faithful in walking among and serving a people who not only doesn't remember that word or leaves it to the side, but but actively abandons it, lives in rebellion to it. They dismiss true worship. They dismiss true words. And Elisha sees it. And he hears from the group of the prophets again, you know he's leaving, don't you? Stop it. Don't talk about it. It's all the more real. It's all the more weighty. And then one more. Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. I'm sent. You don't have to come. We start to hear overtones of of Jesus restoring Peter. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? You know that I love you. And so here it is. Will you come? As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so he goes. And 50 of the sons of the prophets go. And it was here that this movement was always intended to bring them back to. Back again to that place where Israel entered the promised land. But this teachable movement in its last teaching reminds both of these prophets and more for us today the danger of forsaking the Lord. The danger of forsaking his covenant. Of forsaking his words altogether. For forsaking his worship. For forsaking his way. Because it says in verse 8, and we focus on the miracle, Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to one side and to the other until the two of them could go over on dry ground. We remember that the Spirit is at work powerfully in Elijah. But where are they going? Why would he have to divide the waters? Because the word was leaving the land of Israel. The word and its word bearer and the promised word bearer were going back into the wilderness. Look at what's happened to Israel. No longer are we celebrating redemption, but now we're having to pause and teach judgment. God takes away his word, taking away his word bearer. And here now Elijah is again linked to Moses and Joshua and the parting of the waters. But this time in leaving. It is the power of this teachable moment. Because the people, what they most desperately need is the presence and power of God, which means they most desperately need the Word of God and the Spirit of God to move among them and to bring them back to the Lord and back to the truth. But if they're going to continue to reject that Word, if a people, if a church will continue to reject the Word and its Word bearers, He's going to take it away. The reality of curse. If you will not be given to it, if you will not submit to it, he will take it away. It points us to Jesus' walk through this world as one despised and rejected, pointing out the people's rejection of every prophet who came before him. But he walked the road anyway. I will not leave you or forsake you. He did it to teach us and to show us his love and commitment and his death and resurrection and ascension. Even as he prepared the way for the pouring out of his spirit 
and for his disciples to take up his work of calling sinners to repentance and making disciples of all nations. But for us here, as we consider our own hearts, as we think about our receipt of the word, are we following? Or maybe put it differently, will we follow? Do we trust? Have we learned what is necessary to be brought with all the saints to know the grace of God and to know life in the promised land, better promised land forever? That we are still called to believe and to speak really of the realities of sin, but also the truth of God's word, not only in its blessings, but also in its curses. But more as a body, those found in Christ, we are to follow our Savior to walk as he walked, to serve as he served, to not deny that which we've been called to, but to seek that which we need that we might continue serving well. That that tension, that uncertainty would be removed because we will be resolute in our commitment to follow him. And so in that teachable movement then, we are led to a transitional moment in that in the last place because now the word and word bearer outside the land. And while it serves as judgment, then, has God changed? Has God in his love for his people, his electing love for his chosen, has that been dismissed? No. He's still gracious and compassionate. He's still slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and tender mercy. He hasn't abandoned his people. His work will continue. Elijah, yes, will be taken, but but Elisha has been called by God called to take up a dauntingly difficult work. So like any good father, and I love in this text, this really in many ways tender last moment between these two servants of the Lord. Elijah checks with Elisha to see what he needs. Verse 9, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And it's kind of a crazy question to think about. It's one good for a car ride. What what would I ask for? If this is the prophet saying this, if this is God coming to you and saying, ask. Think Solomon before the Lord, and the Lord says, what do you want? What do you need? If we're honest, we'd probably ask God to send someone else. Are you sure there isn't anyone else that you could use instead of me? Or to change the situation entirely. Could could this service be a lot more pleasant? Could these people I serve be a lot less rebellious? Could my own heart be a whole lot less sinful? Hey God, could you just bring judgment now and start over with the new people? Yet Elisha's request is one of complete humility and wisdom. It speaks of how he's been prepared. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And it's not a request like every son who thinks he's better at everything than his dad until his son starts riding his bike faster than his dad, but we'll talk about that later, right? There's that sense of of that struggle, right? Elisha wants to be greater than Elijah. No, he doesn't. He wants to share in that which belongs to one more than a servant or an assistant, but one who's become a son. 
And so here we see the effects of Elijah's teaching, but more of the relationship of love between those who serve the Lord, like Jesus with his disciples and Paul with Timothy. He asked for the inheritance of a son according to Deuteronomy 21, 17. That's where that double portion comes. Grant me that blessing. It's the right of the firstborn. That's what I need. That's what is best. I need the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. And now there's uncertainty here. Why? Because it's not Elijah's to give. His son asks for the best thing. And I can't give it to you. And yet the work of the ministry of the prophetic word cannot continue apart from that blessing. Only the Father can give it. And so it becomes a pause in the narrative to think ahead of the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. Of his, as it were, parting the waters, coming as, it, as he needed to be equipped for his road in ministry. Needing that kind of blessing, needing what was best from his Father. And so the heavens are open. And he has granted the Spirit in order to fulfill all righteousness. It's why Elijah continues to speak the truth to Elisha. He said, you've asked a hard thing, verse 10. Yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. You have asked for the best thing. If you see me taken, be assured that you have it. Hold on to that when he gets back to the river. And as they went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. The might and power of the Lord's heavenly host separate the father from his son, and Elijah was no more. Literally, God took him. It's the language of Enoch in Genesis 5.24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. There was no death for Elijah. How awesome is that? Only life eternal for a good and faithful servant received unto the Lord. But that isn't the most awesome part of that verse. We get so fixed on that. Here are the chariots. Here are the horsemen. Here's the whirlwind. Elijah's gone. That is awesome. But what is better for us? Verse 12, and Elisha saw it. There is hope for a people. There is a redemption that will be spoken of. He saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw them no more. My father, my father, that response of love. Hear of the wonder of what he's been given rather than what's been taken away. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Here is reference again to Elijah, the one who has served as the arm and army of the Lord among the people. Israel had been protected by his word and his work, more by the Lord who was speaking and working through him. That is, one commentator writes, to have Elijah was like having the army of God. But as great as that was, Elisha has the spirit to recognize what? You don't put your trust in Elijah. Don't put your trust in Elijah. We don't put our trust in the servant. What will happen when that pastor isn't our pastor? What happens when that man leaves his ministry? What happens when that person dies and there's no one to succeed him? 
You don't put your trust in a man. You put your trust in the Lord. We trust in the Lord. It says in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Here is that point for him. As the captain of the heavenly host has taken his servant to be with him forever. The one who truly rides on the clouds, not Baal, but God himself, God Almighty, has taken his servant to be with him into heaven and eternal life. And Elisha saw it and saw him no more, which means the spirit has been granted that the heavens open in order both to receive and to give. And at Jesus' baptism, The Spirit was given, and the Father received all the praise and honor of the Son. At His ascension, the heavens were opened, and He was received, so that soon the Spirit could be sent upon all His people, which connects this to us. Because if we are to walk that walk, and to follow after Christ, and take up our cross, we are in need of the same life-giving Spirit. We can do nothing for the Lord and for His kingdom's service apart from His empowerment. That unless we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, if we are not given a heart of flesh written upon by that Spirit, we cannot go forth into the ministries that we're called to. We must not go out into those ministries. And yet as those who have been made to know, And to see and to cry out, he gives what we need and he hears us in our need. And so he promised, I'm going to give you another helper, the promised Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the words that you need to speak. I'm going to grant you power from above to be my witnesses in all of the earth. And we've beheld it. We have beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only Filled with grace and truth. And if that's what we've seen, we live in the knowledge, we live in the assurance that He will use us, that He will empower us, but that He will also come again for us too. There is blessing in knowing that as Elijah has gone home, so will we. For this Jesus, who you saw go up into heaven, will return in the same way He went. 1 Thessalonians 4, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. That's our promise. That's our promise in Christ as those granted the Holy Spirit. And now Elisha, clothed with the Holy Spirit, is moved to an act of mourning, but also a fuller identification of his calling. And so he takes hold of his own clothes and he what? Rips them in half. Tears them in two. These are not my clothes anymore. It's an act of mourning. But he's taking up his commission. How? Verse 13, he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. And now here's where we see Elisha still needing to grow and be sanctified too, right? For this now is more permanent than Elijah just casting his cloak and his mantle on Elisha. Now the symbol of transition and authority is now his. He takes up that dress. The transition has taken place. But he's still wondering, have I been given what is needful and best? Elijah already told you, if you see it, you have it. 
But he asked the question anyway. This one must be clothed, not just with a garment, but with the Lord, His Word, His Spirit, His armor and righteousness. It's not enough to have the clothes, He needs the Lord. So He takes the cloak and says what? Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Are you here? He wants that reassurance. Are you with me? Will we walk back into this land to fulfill my ministry, to go and call sinners to repentance and to faith and return to your word? And he strikes the water and he sees it. I will go forth to do the works, even as Elijah had done them. The almighty God of angel armies was still at work. I am with you. My power is not about a particular person, a particular time period, or a particular place. That the power of redemption and revival is not contingent upon the best prophet or preacher or the best location or the best timing. The Lord's will will be done. He will be shown faithful and true and powerful. Elisha will just be another instrument in the hands of that almighty God. And so our confidence for today that in times of those transitions in this church, whenever that day may come, amongst whatever ministry we support, in questioning, perhaps even in that uncertainty, what will take place, hear this plainly, another generation of preachers will continue to preach the Word of God to His church. It's sure to be. Davis writes, quote, Our help is in the name of the Lord, not in the charisma of His servants, end quote. His Spirit will call a people for Himself from every tongue and tribe and nation. And how awesome that he chooses to use us. That he empowers us. It's truth that we can be sure of. It was truth the action of striking the water assured Elisha of. It was proof for him of his calling, but also of the Lord's presence. And each of you has that in your heart if you are found in Christ Jesus. You have all the assurance that you need of the same by way of his word and spirits. And so now Elisha will go back into the land to call that people away from their idolatry and back to himself. That the power of God's word and spirit would be recognized and known as a proof for him and as a proof for the sons of the prophets as well. Who now say what in verse 15? The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they bowed to the ground before him. No more uncertainty. Elijah recognized as filled with the Spirit, full of power and wisdom to go to his calling, to go to the same place as Elijah did in the same Spirit and in the same Word. And with the same goal, bring these people back to the covenant-keeping God. And so each of you, called by God, chosen by Him and precious, clothed in Christ's righteousness, filled with His Spirit's, are to take up the work of the kingdom, to take up your ministry, to take up your cross, to go into the world to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And so, older ones, I implore you, teach the younger ones what that means. Invest in them. Pray for them. Lead them. That as you get older, as you approach that time where you have to let it go, you can be assured as we are that the Lord will always prepare a people to take up his call and his cross and follow, empowered by his Holy Spirit.
because our God is Yahweh, who makes known that our salvation is Yahweh. And so as the Lord lives, we will not leave him as those filled by his spirit and kept by his love. To God alone be all the praise and glory for that. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, for the power of the ministry, not of a man, of Elijah, but of your power worked through him. That, Lord, he was simply a conduit of your power and of your glory. Father, we pray that we would be the same. That as we are brought to take up our callings each day, even as Elisha was in this moment, that we remember that our power is not ours but yours. That the ends of the ministry are not achieved by our means but yours. That what you give is what is best. And that you will build your church, one in which the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. And so, Lord, may that be our assurance. In days of uncertainty, wondering, Lord, will you continue to fulfill pulpits? Will you continue to send men into the ministry? Will you continue to send a church out, armored up, ready to fulfill its calling? Father, empower us by your Holy Spirit. And send us forth in your great faithfulness and mercy and love. For we ask all these things according to your promise made to us in Jesus Christ, who will never leave us or forsake us. Amen.